Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk will join us to discuss The Body Keeps Score. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, trauma has emerged as one of the great public health challenges facing our nation today. From combat veterans experiencing PTSD to the over 1 million children reported for abuse and neglect each year, the effects of trauma have devastating effects on the lives of too many. Popular treatments oftentimes prove ineffective, but our guest today, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, argues that a new approach is necessary. Dr. van der Kolk is one of the world's foremost experts on traumatic stress and has been the medical director of the Trauma Center in Boston for over 30 years. Author of numerous works on the subject, he has penned the new book, The Body Keeps Score, which reveals just how ubiquitous trauma is and presents the best way to heal the issue for millions of people struggling with it. And uh, Dr. Van I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok's Science Show. Glad to be here. Uh, certainly a pleasure. It's certainly a, a fascinating book that you've written, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And I'm curious uh, how you became interested in the subject of trauma and why you decided to write the book. Well, I first became interested in it working with Vietnam veterans and meeting previously very well-functioning, smart, motivated people who just fell apart. And I was having babies at home at the same time who also easily fell apart and easily blew up. And I became fascinated by the comparison between the two of them, how kids uh, are very reactive, uh, their world is catastrophic. And here for these grown-up adults, the world had also become a catastrophic place. And while with my kids, I, I knew that their brain was going to mature and sooner or later it'll become mature adults, which they did become, um, that these guys, uh, it wasn't going to be so easy to get them to come back online. So, so I was very interested in what happened to their minds and brains that caused these very well-functioning people to uh, to not really be fully alive in the present anymore, anymore, and to be so preoccupied with danger and fear and terror, etc. Um, the opening line that really fascinated me is that I thought I could treat it with medications at the time, and I gave it to my very first patient, and he refused to take the medications. He said, I cannot take these medicines because I need to be a living memorial to my friends who died in Vietnam. And if I take these medications, my symptoms go away, their death will have been in vain. And that statement just blew my mind, uh, how uh, issues of loyalty and belonging and remembering dead people became came to really uh, preoccupy people at the expense of them having a real life. And so that was the opening statement that just propelled me into the field. And for the past 40 years, I've been studying what happens in their brains and their minds and 
then also very quickly discovered how war trauma is a relatively small part of trauma compared with what happens in households and that more women have been killed by domestic partners than soldiers have been in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, for every soldier that gets killed overseas, 13 kids get killed by gunshot wounds in the U.S. And so this stuff doesn't only happen in the military, it happens everywhere. Given that it's such a widespread issue, what do you think of the current approaches to dealing with trauma and why uh, do you think that maybe they're not as effective as, as they could be? Well, what we've discovered is that the brain changes and the brain and the very primitive survival part of the brain gets reset to detect danger and not to be very alert to the pleasures and comforts of everyday life. And so trauma doesn't really primarily affect the rational brain, and so you cannot reason your way out of it, you cannot understand your way out of it, you cannot talk your way out of it, uh, because your body is reset to be on the alert for and detect danger everywhere. And so the primitive part of your brain keeps reacting as if you're as if terrible things are going to happen. And you need to get down into that primitive part of the brain to make the body feel safe again. And that is a major challenge. And so for a long time, we tried medicines. And medicines are not useless, but they certainly do not do the trick in helping to reset people. And what became very clear is that people actually need to have physical experiences that gives them a regained sense of control over themselves. And that may involve things like yoga, martial arts, Qigong, uh, all disciplines that I think were originally invented in the in the Asia in order to help traumatized people to regain a sense of their bodies. Um, and things like meditation, which can activate a part of the brain that has connection with its survival brain. And so becoming still, um, noticing yourself, cultivating a sense of quietness, stillness, self-reflection, uh, learning how to be touched in a safe way, learning how to move in a safe way, um, is really the secret to recovery. So is it in many ways just trying to retrain the brain through physical activity? Brain, the brain needs to be retrained by experience that it is safe to be where you are. And so you can do that by learning to sit still and to slowly feel like it feels safe or to be touched by someone in a prolonged way and feel that it's okay to be touched by that person. Or uh, what I do a lot of also is something called neurofeedback where we have people play computer games with their own brains and you can change people's brain waves back to normal where you can refocus attentional systems in the brain so you can feel present and focused and on the alert to real things instead of uh, the horrors from the past. Uh, another of the methods uh, they mentioned here is uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I'm curious what that is. For me, that's really where, where my the therapeutic efficacy started. It was about 20 years ago when uh, people discovered EMDR. I learned it, and we found that you can help people very quickly 
deal with relatively uncomplicated trauma and to process it and make it a thing that belongs to the past. And to my mind, EMDR was really the opening salvo of people beginning to explore uh, ways in which to put things that belong to the past back where they belonged and helping the brain to be here and not there. And so EMDR turned out to be a very effective treatment. I was funded by the National Institute of Mental Health to study it, uh, comparing it with medications, and it turned out to be uh, that adults had been traumatized as adults um, had about an 80% cure rate with EMDR. And so that turned out to be very effective. It turned out that people who, as children, were traumatized in uh, at home, in intimate relationships, in foster care, uh, had a much more difficult time, even with EMDR, although it was a technique that was somewhat helpful for them as well, but not quite as stunning as it was for adults who had just been raped or assaulted. So you opened with the, the very um, poignant story of the, the soldier who had some resistance to uh, psychoactive drugs. Have you experienced any kind of resistance to these sorts of approaches in the same way that you had with, with medication treatments? Well, uh, I think the public is, is reluctant to take drugs. Uh, and when we do our research projects and we compare something with medications, oftentimes... Um, Potential participants refuse to take care, to take part of the research study because they don't want to try drugs again. And in fact, drugs have turned out to be not all that helpful for PTSD. They sometimes help people to sleep and to become somewhat blunted, but the blunting sometimes makes you feel not all that alert and engaged with your environment. Um, so. It's, I think there's an interesting uh, disparity between uh, the medical profession and the general public in that the, the medical profession still believes that we'll find some drug that's going to solve the problem, and the general public is much more interested in helping, uh, finding ways of making themselves feel safe and in control over their bodies, actually. So the people who come to see me or who come to our center really are not very reluctant at all to try things like neurofeedback or EMDR or even yoga. Uh, do you think these uh, methods are beginning to catch on more in the psychological, psychiatric profession? Very reluctantly. I think the, the, the primary thing that's still being taught is, is to talk to people how irrational their beliefs and their attitudes are and to hope that by just understanding that you shouldn't feel this way, that the feeling will go away. And uh, that is sort of a misconception about what being traumatized is all about because it's not in your rational brain. You know you shouldn't feel this way. You shouldn't feel afraid or enraged or helpless all the time. But you do because your animal brain has taught you that at some point in your life you've word like that and has reconstituted itself. So I think uh, in some ways the, the mainstream profession is sort of running behind um, what is being practiced by uh, in the field by many people. And an important motivation for me to write my recent book is because I'm a neuroscientist and study the brain to really uh, spell out what we know about the brain and 
what the logical implications are of if that's the problem in the brain, we need to actually deal with those particular problems. Do you think part of it would also be having these sorts of uh, methods more emphasized in, in medical schools and the training of, of new doctors? Well, uh, doc doctors are just being taught how to give drugs. Uh, that's so far away from what people learn in medical school uh, that you can't even think about it. In med medicine, is about fixing people, making it go away. So we're really talking more about the realm of psychologists, social workers. I'm a psychiatrist. Uh, but not too many uh, psychiatrists really know about these very complex psychological treatments. So you do mention that you have been studying the parts of the brain. You, you mentioned sort of generally the animal brain. Is it known exactly what parts of the brain become very active in, in uh, traumatized individuals and if there's a way to target those particular... The, so the big, the, the big areas that get changed is the reptilian brain, so the very primitive part of your brain, that keeps you in a constant state of agitation. And this, uh, and I'll also like to call it your baby brain, so you, you, your brain becomes like a little baby that gets, when it gets hungry, it starts screaming, and when it gets scared, it starts screaming, and it cannot be comforted very easily anymore, so you need to actually address this very primitive um, reptilian brain. Uh, you mainly do that by teaching people how to breathe and to be calm and to be still, uh, touch stuff like that. Um, and then you have the mammalian brain that's, that gets stuck in fight and flight and uh, is always ready to perceive danger. And that part of the brain needs to be rewired to feel safe. And there's sort of two ways of doing that. One is by um, learning to bolster an area of the brain called the medial prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that's uh, so which your consciousness can sort of help you to be quiet and become still, which gets activated by things like meditation. Um, and the other thing is neurofeedback, where you can actually rewire these abnormal brain patterns and help the brain to f gradually uh, become more focused and more present and more alert to what's going on right now, rather than being focused on all things. A very big thing that we have found in the neuroscience of trauma is that the filtering system of the brain uh, becomes very disturbed. So it becomes very hard to figure out what's important from what's unimportant. And so you get very disturbed by very minor issues and it's very hard to keep your eye on the ball. And so it's really uh, important to help people to develop methods to refocus their attention. It's very much an intentional issue of learning how to be fully alive in the present again. So you did mention earlier that there are perhaps some individuals that have a little better time applying these methods than others. Do you find that certain types of trauma are more easily treated using these methods or certain patients are better able to adopt these methods than others? I think trauma that just happens from the outside, like a car accident or even an assault by a stranger is relatively easy to treat. Um, the hardest form of trauma to treat is, is trauma that occurs at the hands of your own intimates, uh, intimates in your life. Uh, so if your own parents or your own partner are the source of your danger, then trauma starts affecting the whole attachment system 
and that core system that makes us feel connected with other people and makes us feel safe with other people. And so uh, intimate trauma, like incest and child abuse, uh, not only sets up these fear reactions, but also deprives you of the main source of comfort in life, namely human beings are there to comfort each other and to make each other feel safe. And once other people have become seen as sources of threat, um, that really creates a tremendous uh, um, complication for the whole thing. And so learning how to trust people again, and learning how to relax, and learning how to feel safe with a person, even when you feel relatively vulnerable, like when you're asleep with somebody, when you're lying in bed with somebody, uh, that becomes a major challenge of making your body feel relaxed and safe with another human being becomes a very big issue. Uh, well, we are running slightly out of time. I'm, I'm just curious, maybe to wrap this up, if um, you just sort of have some final words for individuals who perhaps are dealing with trauma or they know someone who's dealing with trauma, advice you can give them for um, seeking out treatments and dealing with the condition. Well, there are so many people, so then uh, this really affects most people. Learning to feel safe and finding out what makes you feel safe is the most important thing. So if a particular person makes you feel safe or a particular activity, like playing music or dancing or oftentimes these involve rhythmical activities with other people, um, uh, doing things together with other people that give you a sense of pleasure, engagement, and feeling alive, uh, feeling f alive right now. Uh, that's really where you start, to regain that capacity to engage with other people right now. Uh, so music, dancing, uh, activities, athletics, that gets you involved with other people and makes you feel part of a team and part of the human race. Uh, terribly important. Having a body that feels safe with other people's bodies is really uh, the foundation of healing from trauma. The new book is called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma, and the author is Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And uh, Dr. van der Kolk, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.